Scotty asked me to share a scripture this morning. Remember what I said about paying attention? We're going to be in Revelation chapter 12. I'm going to read the first nine verses, and then Scotty, after worship, is going to make some comments on this. Revelation 12, 1 through 9. Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. His tail drew a third of the stars to heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth, to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail. Nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Amen. The reason I had uh, Steve read that passage out of the book of the Revelation is it, uh, it seems like we're in that battle, right? That there's Satan and his angels fought with Michael and his angels. That there's this spiritual cosmic battle that you and I can't see with our eyes, but I don't know about you, but I've been feeling it in my heart and my spirit for some time. And, uh, and it is a real thing. And what we're seeing with the nation of Israel, and I just, I just want to say this, I've never, I've never really proclaimed this, or I don't have a Star of David and a flag of Israel, but Out West Bible Church and your pastor stands with Israel, right? So, um, and it is, like, it is like people are choosing sides, uh, now, I don't know how many of you listened to Amir Sarfati. Now, I don't know if I can go with Amir on this one or not, but uh, he said anyone who supports Hamas is demon-possessed. <laughs> and um, now, I, I don't know if I'd go that far, but I, I think some people will support them out of bona fide ignorance, right? They do not know. And um, we've been reading about it, right? Right here in Genesis, where this whole thing started. And the whole uh, battle between the spirit and the flesh uh, with Ishmael and, and, and uh, Isaac. And so um, it is very interesting times that we live in. And just please don't ever lose sight of the spiritual battle that is raging uh, constantly. They don't take a day off. <laughs> they don't sleep. Uh, it's, it's, it's a real thing. And so... Uh, in Genesis chapter 22, we're, ha- we're going to look at one of the most um, probably popular stories, one of the most powerful stories in all of Scripture, and um, it's uh, involving obviously our, our father of faith, Abraham. 
Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we, uh, we thank you that, that we're aware. Lord, we're aware of this battle that we see raging, Lord, that started clear back here in Genesis, even, even in the early chapters there with Adam and Eve, Lord, that we have a real enemy that is rearing his head and knowing his time is short, is, is warring against those of us who would believe and put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us a strength by your Holy Spirit, Lord, that we don't have uh, within ourselves. We need it to come from you. And so, um, as we look at this, this uh, incredible picture of the gospel today, I pray that you would encourage our hearts, Lord, that, that our fellowship would be sweet, Lord, that we would encourage one another in the faith, and that we would have the koinonia, Lord, that you desire and that you prayed about it there in John chapter 17. And Lord, we, uh, we just thank you. Thank you for the times in which we live. Help us to look up knowing our redemption is drawing near. Lord, that the things that we see going on around us, Lord, it's not just a happenstance. It's not just um, um, weird circumstances, but it's things that you've talked about in your word. And uh, Lord, you encourage us to watch and to pray. And so I pray that we, that's where our hearts would be today as we look at this uh, passage of scripture in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Genesis chapter 22. Uh, interesting, I, I was thinking, what would be a good message? In fact, Sterling just asked me, because he does the video stuff, what's your message? And I can't even remember what I told him. <clears throat> I think it's uh, the offering of a son. But uh, it could be the greatest story ever told. It could be on a hill far away. Uh, it could be simply a father and a son. And uh, we see some firsts here in this passage of Scripture. I'm just going to start by reading the first six verses Genesis chapter 22, verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass after those things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, and saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering, and rose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off, and Abraham said to the young men, Stay here with the donkey, the lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come Back to you. So Abraham took the wood, the burnt offering, and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and the knife, and the two of them went together. So here's Abraham and his son. Some believe that Isaac is anywhere between 15 and 30 years old at this point in his life, that he's not a little boy like uh, sometimes you see in the movies or whatever. Um, but but God calls him to take this promised son and offer him up as a burnt offering. And that is a uh, pretty tough call, right? And, and no doubt Abraham knew of foreign gods that would require human sacrifice. We see later in Scripture that human sacrifice is forbidden. Um, but here it says God tested Abraham. Now, people get confused about that 
sometimes. They, 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 they are confused about testing and temptation. <laughs> There's a difference, right? God will test your faith because a faith that can't be tested is a faith that can't be trusted, as the old saying goes. Satan is the tempter. God doesn't tempt. That's Satan's job. Satan tempts. God will put, allow us, allow us to go through a test. And um, this, this seems to be, uh, to me, a pretty big test. And, um, and many times when people are going through testing, it drives them away. They can't handle it. Because life's a test, isn't it? Life is a battle. It's, it's not easy. It's, it's, it's hard. It, we get weary, and, and, and it drives people away. People are going, well, that's the way God's going to be. Why should I even try to walk with him or serve him? Well, the question probably that should automatically follow that kind of an attitude is like, where are you going to go? Right? Honestly, you think Jim or Jack would have an answer for you? That's Jim Beam or Jack Daniels, right? Or, or all the crazy drugs that are out there and just kind of veg out and tune out and not, you know, uh, and just die. Where are you going to go? If when life gets really hard, where and who do you turn to? And so he's uh, putting um, Abram, Abraham now, to the test. And Jesus asked that question, right? Um, if people were going to leave because it's too hard. Uh, I think people are so many people are duped into thinking, well, the Christian life is just all blessing, right? It's just glorious. It's, it's just roses. Not. And Jesus, in, in John chapter 6, verse 53, he, he, had, he had said some things about the, the eating of his flesh and the drinking of his blood. It says, then Jesus said to them, most surely I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And then later on in verse 67 through 69, it says, Jesus said to the 12, do you also want to go away? Because many people said, I'm out. I'm out. This dude's a cannibalist. He's talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. No way. I'm not doing it. And they left. And so Jesus asked the disciples, will you too go away? But Simon Peter, in one of his great moments, by the way, said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Abraham had realized that this God is able to do things that no one else is able to do, right? Him being as good as dead, Sarah being as good as dead in her womb and their ability to reproduce. And here comes this baby, Isaac. And what did it do? It deepened, it deepened Abraham's faith. Uh, it takes a lifetime 
Do you realize we're all under construction? Right? God, step by step, little by little, he is growing us into what he would have us be. And um, this has been quite a while. You know, things started when he was 75. He's probably about 120 at this point, right? Uh, so 45 years. Uh, and I know there's people in here that has been walking with the Lord for 45 years. There's some people in here that has maybe only been walking with the Lord for 45 days. Can I just encourage you, keep walking with the Lord. There ain't nowhere else to go. There's nowhere else to go. And so, these tests that God allows in our lives, it, it is truly necessary for all of us uh, to to grow our faith. I was with families uh, this week at funerals and uh, just watching God take people through these very hard things of loss. And it seems so out of order or so prematurely at times. And we got all kinds of questions. What do we do with that? Take them to the Lord. You can ask him anything, right? Now, how many times he allows you to shake your fist at him? I do not know. That's just not a good idea. Um, and I, I, I watch people as they go through things, especially when it comes to the loss of loved ones. And it uh, seems like one or two things happens. They either get bitter or they get better, right? And some of you, I, I've watched that in your lives. And so um, God allows these tests so that Faith would be revealed, right? This, this whole thing with, with God sent, telling uh, Abraham to go offer his son Isaac was to reveal faith, not necessarily produce it. Though on the backside, when you look back, you're thinking, oh, yeah, the Lord took me a little deeper there. And maybe the Lord's taking you through some things even right now. It's hard. And um, hopefully your faith will be revealed and it will get stronger as you go along. But um, so our faith is revealed or the lack thereof. You ever feel faithless at times? Um, Jesus said something interesting. He says, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find people walking in faith? Does that mean that actually faith may be a rare thing at the coming of the Lord? I don't know about you, but as I watch the world around me and as I, the things on earth truly grow strangely dim in the light of the coming of Christ Jesus, um, hopefully our faith will grow stronger. But I, it will not unless you're pursuing. It will not unless you pursue. You're, when, when Abram hears the voice of the Lord, what's he say? Here I am. I'm in. Lord, what, what are we doing? That's just a great way to live your life. What are we doing? Now, Jesus checks the disciples' faith there in Matthew chapter 8, right? When he tells them in verse 18 of Matthew chapter 8, Jesus said, uh, let's go to the other side. Well, then he gets interrupted. He gets interrupted with a couple questions that people ask him. And, uh, and then he gets into the boat. 
and he goes to sleep. And you remember as they're rowing and, and the storm comes, and these guys were, were mariners. I mean, they knew how to handle themselves on the water. And, um, and, the, and the waves start going crazy. And in verse 25 of Matthew chapter 8, they say, Lord, we're going to die. Save us. And you remember Jesus, he looks at him and says, oh, ye of little faith. Oh, ye of little faith. Why, why was he saying that to him? I mean, obviously, it was a pretty scary thing because they forgot what he had said, right? They had forgotten what he had said. What did he say? Hey, let's go across. Before he got interrupted and had to, you know, uh, answer some questions, he says, let's go. We're going to go to the other side. He said they were going to the other side. When the Lord says something, guys, listen, we can take it to the bank. It's going to happen when he says something. They had forgotten the word of God. Abram here, Abraham, doesn't seem like he's forgotten much. He, uh, it's like, here I am, Lord, reporting for duty. He's quick to hear. Uh, Abraham was fast learning, right? That he could, he could trust the word of God. That when God said something, you believe it wholeheartedly or you don't. How do, how, do you, how do you read God's word? Do you read it with skepticism? Well, do you even believe it's God's word? Because I have people tell me all the time, oh, I've read the Bible. Really? No, you probably looked up John 3.16 when you saw it at a football game. Right? But when you consistently read God's word, right, it, it's, it's alive. It's doing a work in your life. And, and hopefully it's... Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Hopefully your faith is growing because you're hearing the word of God. Believe me, if you're not hearing the word of God, your faith is not growing, right? It is diminishing and you are starting to put your faith in yourself. That's not a good place for your faith to be, is in yourself. I love Psalm 119 verse 50 says, this is my comfort in my affliction for your word has given me life. Your word has given me life. Could you imagine the emotions going through this man's heart? Ah, some of you got kids. And um, the natural love that you have for them, it's incredible. Right? Uh, years ago, I heard a, a horrendous story of a man chucking his baby out a four-story window. They were in some kind of a tumultuous war, him and his wife, and he grabs the kid and he just chucks him out the window. Somebody heard something and looked up and saw the baby and caught it. Like, what kind of parent would chuck an infant child out of a four-story window. A teenager, maybe. Just saying. But God's word gives us life. And for Abraham, Abraham, to hear these words, to take your son 
And, and all these little phrases, no doubt, each one he heard was probably just like a dagger in his heart when he's, take your son, your only son. Now, wait a minute. He still has Ishmael. But the Lord was specifically speaking of Isaac because Isaac was that promised son who you love. This is the first mention. This is the first mention in the Bible is love. Love what? Father for a son, not a man for a woman, or a mother for a child, but a father for his son. And there's a reason for that, obviously. And offer him. I can't imagine what he was trying to, how he was trying, trying to process this. And I, it says, and offer him, and I will show you where a burnt offering in a burnt offering, the body is cooked, right? They didn't burn them alive. They killed them first, right? They drained the blood on the burnt offering, and then they would burn it and offer it to the Lord. And no doubt, that's what's going through his brain. And so he's probably all kind of tipped over, and yet he does it. He, verse 3, he gets, he gets right to it. Abraham stood up. Excuse me, I was in the wrong chapter. In verse 3 it says, So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took his two young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering. Now th this guy was a sheik. I mean, he was like, he was the who's who of the day. Right, he was, the, he was the king of his little domain there with, remember, how many soldiers and stuff he had. Why didn't he have somebody else saddle his donkey or chop the wood? He did it. That's what you call nervous energy. <laughs> he's got to do something, man. He is spun up. And yet he's still operating in obedience. What about you? When the Lord convicts you of something or he speaks a powerful truth to your heart, maybe, it's a, maybe you're sideways with a family member and you haven't dealt with it. Or you got something you just need, need you, know, you know in your heart it needs fixed. And you're resisting. You're not walking in obedience. I'm just telling you, that is a miserable place, miserable place to be. Fix it. Right? Go to that person. Do what you got to do to get things right. So he gets right to it, no doubt, probably has a sleepless night because he gets up early. Saddles his donkey, gets his helpers, loads the wood, and heads out for a long three-day journey. To Moriah, and it's interesting, verse 4 says, To the land of Moriah, which I will, I will show you where, which is Jerusalem. Moriah is Jerusalem. And he says in verse 5, he tells his men, we will go back, or excuse me, we will go and worship and we will come back. That's interesting. He knows he's going to sacrifice his kid. But in verse 5, he tells the, the, the guys that are with him, he says, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, 
and we will come back. This is a display of faith that I don't think I would have. I don't really get this deep of faith because his mind obviously has to be going somewhere uh, that doesn't even seem logical. David Guzik says this, It seemed as if God commanded Abraham to kill the very promise God made to him. Abraham had to learn the difference between trusting the promise and trusting the promiser. We can put God's promise before God himself and feel it is our responsibility to bring the promise to pass, even if we have to disobey God to do it. Trust the promiser no matter what, and the promise will be taken care of. He was trusting what God had said to him. In Isaac shall your seed be called. Or was he lying? Right? Maybe he was just trying to cover up what he was going to do with his son. Oh, uh, we're going to go worship and then we'll, we will come back. But most Bible commentators believe that Abraham actually believed they were going to come back. Both of them. They were going to go worship. He was going to offer him as a burnt offering, and they were both going to come back. Him being full of faith, he really believes. Not because he knew it was a test. He didn't know it was a test. He didn't know it was a test, but he believed God's promise. What was God's promise? That there were going to be a huge nation. Isaac, don't have any kids, right? There's going to be a huge nation come from this kid. He believed that in spite of the command to go and kill and burn his kid. I've been with parents that have lost their children. I don't know if I've seen a pain that can rival that. And some of you know that all too well. And this guy is, is pressing on in spite of it simply because of what we read in Hebrews eleven seventeen through 19. And it says this, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. That's what Abraham believed. As he was going up to Moriah, that's also called Mount Calvary, with his son Isaac, he believed that God was going to raise him from the dead. Warren Wiersbe, he talks about faith. He says, our faith is not really tested until God asks us to bear what seems unbearable, do what seems unreasonable, and expect what seems impossible. Whether you look at Joseph in prison or Moses and, and Israel at the Red Sea, David in a cave, or Jesus at Calvary, the lesson is the same. We live by promise, not by explanations. By promise. And God had promised Abraham that, and that's what he believed. 
In verse 5, it says, keep going to the other chapter. And Abraham said to the young men, stay here. We will go worship and come back to you. Verse 6. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took a fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. So he had all the elements of the sacrifice. The wood, the knife, the fire, and they were on their way. He laid the wood on Isaac, his son there. That, that, that's interesting. We know that the cross was laid upon um, Jesus, but he didn't bear it all the way to Calvary. First Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says, Who himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes we are healed. It was picturesque of the sin, the burden of sin that would be upon Jesus was the wood upon Isaac, this burden that he had to pack up the hill that would turn into fire and, 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 and burn the body of Isaac. He was carrying basically his own judgment. Isaiah chapter 53, 6 says, And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. The fire, when the fire would burn, it would, it would uh, consume the wood, which is a picture of judgment uh, of God against sin. All symbols that point to the sacrifice of Jesus, right? You have all the elements here. We got the knife, the steel, how Jesus was pierced, his hand, steel pierced his hands and his feet and his side. And that's what all of this is pointing to. The wrath of God was poured out on Christ. And for Abraham to think in his mind that he's basically pouring out a wrath upon Isaac in taking his life from him. I'm sure that had to have been heart-wrenching. Galatians 3, 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In verse 7, it says, But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And then he said, Look, the fire, the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son. My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together, and then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. I've, uh, years ago, I remember sharing this, and I was sharing it with the kids at the school years ago. And I remember this girl, she was in fourth grade, I'll never forget it. She was in fourth grade, and this story so rattled her. She went home, and she told her parents, she goes, I could never do that. 
I could never do that. And that person is an adult now and is so far from Jesus, it's, it's plum scary. Because this is, this is a hard swallow here, right? That's a powerful thing. Now, we know the backside of the story, right? We know the whole story. But to, but to think that this is going to happen, that, that Abraham has the, the knife and that he binds Isaac, right? And he, and he puts him on that altar. But we see this relationship, what a lot of people don't see, especially when you think Isaac's just a little kid. He's just, you know, he's oblivious to it. No, he knows what's going on. And he's totally down with it. We here see this, this relationship between the father and the son. Isaac, though he is questioningly questioning where is the lamb, he is a willing party. He's willing to be bound. Isaac is full of submission to the father. Not my bill, but yours be done. Right? Beautiful picture there of Jesus. In verse 8, there's a powerful suggestion made here in verse 8 where Abraham answering Isaac my son, God will provide for himself the lamb as a burnt offering. God will provide. Is he lying to Isaac? I don't know. I don't think so. Actually, the original Hebrew, years ago I heard Chuck Missler teach on this. It kind of shocked me. The reading of verse 8 there where Abraham says, My son, God will provide, not for, but himself, the sacrifice, the burnt offering. God will provide himself the burnt offering. That kind of changes your perspective a little bit. That the Lord is pointing to something here that's much bigger than Abraham and Isaac. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Many of you know it. It may even be a tattoo-worthy scripture. I don't know. It's one of my favorite. It's called the Great Exchange. For he who knew no sin, became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. And so, that's what we see here, God providing himself. Think about that exchange. I don't know if that humbles you, but every time I think of that, that great exchange, for he took him who knew no sin to be sin for us, because we are so wicked that we might become the righteousness of God. We were taught, having a conversation about this the other day, about humility. That thought, that scripture, when you read it and you let it absorb down into your heart and soul, it should bring a humility that is, is overwhelming. Because you should have took that judgment that Jesus took. That's what you deserve. That's what I deserve. And, um, and we were talking about, about humility. Well, what about the righteousness of Christ? How dare you say you're a sinner? But those two things are intention, 
right? It's, it's like that cable that people walk on. It's got to be tied to both ends. It has to be intention to work. That's how this Christian life works. I am desperately wicked. I have this desperately wicked heart that needs to be watched over, right? But I, I positionally, when I see myself in Jesus Christ, because I've accepted him, because I yield to him, because I walk by faith, I am righteous. God sees me as righteous. I don't get that because <laughs> I sure don't feel righteous. If you do, you're probably in trouble. But I am righteous according to the truth. But I still also am a, I'm still in this fallen condition. I still have to deal with sin. So if Jesus just wiped it away and you never had to deal with sin again, that, we don't have to deal with the bondage of sin. We don't have to deal with the, uh, the judgment of sin, but we have to deal with sin because this old stinking carcass wakes up every morning and it has these desires and these thoughts uh, that are, they're, they're not good. They're sinful. And so that sacrifice, God providing himself the sacrifice is, is a very powerful thought. Verse 9 goes on and says, Then they came to the place which God had told them, and Abraham built an altar, therefore, and placed the wood in order, and he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Total submission. Right? Remember Jesus in the garden? Now our friends around town that have the steeple and Jesus' name on the outside, they, uh, they say the atonement took place in the garden. The atonement didn't take place in the garden. The atonement took place on the cross, right? The total submission took place in the garden where Jesus said, not my will, but thy will be done. He yielded himself at that moment to the Father's will because he asked, right? If there is any way, let this cup pass from me. There, is no, there was no other way. There is no other way to God, folks, but Jesus. There's no other way. Because if there would have been another way, he wouldn't have had to done what he did. And that's why he says, I'm not pastor, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Years ago, I... When I was young in the Lord, I had a pastor. He used to say this all the time. All roads lead to hell but one. That's true. All, road lead, all roads lead to hell but one. Now, people will say, you'll hear people say this. Maybe you've even said it. Well, all roads lead to God. In a sense, that's true. <laughs> right? You're either going to stand before him and hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, or you'll stand before him and you'll hear, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, I never knew you. So in a sense, all roads do lead to God. But there's only one way to heaven. So Isaac offers himself, I mean, his dad's almost 120 years old. I mean, he could have popped the old man in the mouth and just ran off. Right? But he was just totally yielded. Right? He was totally yielded to the Lord. You know, you know the scripture. 
I love it. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I'm working my whole life trying to, trying to get to this place where Paul encourages the, the Christians there in Rome. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God for your life. And that's a life that is walking by faith. Verse 11 says, But the angel of the Lord called to, Ab- called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And so he said, Here I am. Whew. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. I wonder who this was for more. Was it more for Abraham or was it for the, for the Lord? The Lord knows all things, doesn't he? I think if God knew that Abraham wouldn't have gone through with this, he wouldn't have chose Abraham. You know, the Bible says that many are called, but few are chosen. What what has God called and chosen you to do in your life? If he's called you, right, he has a plan. And I'm convinced that the chosen part is on us. So God calls, he knocks on the door of your heart, you open up, you say, okay, Lord, you can have this and this, but I think I'm going to keep this. It doesn't work like that. It is a surrendered life. This dude displayed a total surrender, willing to give his only son, knowing that God in his greatness was able to raise this dude from the, this kid to the, from the dead. So the angel tells him, don't do it. Don't do it. And Abram lifted his eyes, verse 13, and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket. Oh, how convenient. By his horns. So Abraham went and took the ram, offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. In the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And it was provided for you and for me. In the mount, it was Mount Calvary. That God gave us a picture here with Abraham, a type, a shadow of something that was going to happen in the future where a father would, in fact, offer his son up for the sins of the world, yours and mine. God went through with it for you because he loves you that much. He went through with it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That scripture should be so much more powerful to you when you think of it. That God went through with the killing and the judgment and the fire, the burning of his son for you and me. 
And if that doesn't cause you to humble yourself and to bow yourself before the God of heaven, nothing will. You won't bow before God for nothing unless you are overwhelmed by that sacrifice. And it is overwhelming. What he did for us. In the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And so when you think about Calvary and you think about what Jesus did for us, I hope that it causes you to bow your hearts and your spirits before him. Because, man, what, as the old song said, what a savior. What a savior. So the correlation here, I'm going to wrap up with this. The correlation between Isaac and uh, Jesus. Both were loved by their father. Both offered themselves willingly. Both carried wood up the hill of their sacrifice. Both were sacrificed on the same hill. Both were delivered from death on the third day. What's so cool about Jesus' story, though he went through with that death, he fulfilled what Abraham believed. Jesus conquered death. I was reminded Friday when I went and did a funeral down in Rupert. A girl who, uh, her mother had passed away her sister-in-law's been doing the rodeo bob camp, so I've been helping her. But I dated the girl back in high school. And that was the only time I really remembered the mom who I was doing the funeral for. And I said, when I showed up to see the girl, I did not get a favorable look from the mother. And for good reason. And... Um, she came up to me and asked me, okay, I'm not cussing, I'm just saying what she said. She said, she walked up to me and uh, she said, when I first heard about you and Rick, like walking with Jesus, I asked everybody, what the hell happened? And so I shared that at the funeral. I said, this happened, Right? I heard about this guy that, that came and took my sin upon himself. And I heard about this guy that, that died and that, that death was a propitiation, a, a payment for my sin. And they went in the ground and he rose again and I never had to be afraid of death again. That's what happened. Right? It changed my life. It still changes my life today. The Lord will never ask us to do something that he wouldn't do himself. He will never ask you to do something that he wouldn't do himself. Don't you love people like that? Over the years, at the different bosses I've had, I, I always appreciated most the ones that I knew when they asked me to do something, I knew that they would do it. They weren't above that. And, and so it is with, with our God. He would never ask you to do something that, that he wouldn't do himself. Like, live this life. Hey, I'm, I'm going to allow you to be born and 
and have this human experience and live this life. He did it, right? Jesus did it. And he suffered more than any man. Isaiah 52 says he was marred, he was beaten worse than any man and still able to be alive. And he did that. Or God's going to ask you to surrender your life to him. See, you can't walk with Jesus without being surrendered to him. Sorry. If you just want to come to church and get a little feel-good thing and think, okay, I'm good with God. No, you're not. You're not good with God unless you sacrifice and lay down your life and surrender your rights. You're not right with God just because you come to church and hear a couple of scriptures that you agree with. Right? As my grandma used to say, the proof is in the pudding. It's a sacrificial life. It's willing to do what we see this man willing to do with his son. Now, I don't totally get this. And I don't know if I could do it. But I know that my God is big enough to help me do it. And so that's what I need to ask him. Right? Jesus said to the Jews, he said this, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. In John chapter 8, verse 56, In Isaac's miraculous birth, Abraham saw the day of Christ's birth. And on Mount Moriah, when Isaac willingly put himself on the altar, Abraham saw the day of Christ's death and resurrection. And he rejoiced. And in the first century A.D., the drama was played out there on Mount Moriah. And Jesus went to Calvary's cross. And he went into the ground. And he rose again the third day. That if we simply receive it with all of our heart, right? Getting in the wheelbarrow. You guys have... Shared that story so many times. I... Putting all your faith and weight on who Christ is and what he did. That is the gospel. So the question is, is do you believe? Salvation has been provided. God has made a way. It's our job to simply receive it wholeheartedly. Lay down our own will. And just as Jesus said, not my will, but thine be done. I'm telling you, it's a great way to live. You're going to learn if you press into this relationship with Jesus and you keep walking with him, you're going to learn the more of your life that you give up, the more life you will receive. And that's just the way it is. He who seeks to save his life will lose it. He who loses his life for my sake will find it. And I found that to be true. I pray that you do as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for an example of faith that uh, is second to none. And Lord, I just pray that you would help us to be people of faith. God, that you would give us the strength to do what you did as you laid down your life, Lord, and you call us to identify with your sufferings and to surrender all that we are to you. Lord, I pray that you would empower 
those who have questions. They may not even know for sure whether they're surrendered or not. I know I have the same question sometimes, but I know a lot of it's just coming before your throne and humbling myself and confessing my failure, my negligence, my laziness, Lord. And you're able to do something with those who would pound on their chest and say, oh God, forgive me, a sinful man. And so, Lord, we just uh, thank you for this truth, Lord, that we've seen today, Lord, that we can never outgive you. We can never offer something to you that can compare what you offered for us. And so, Lord, just bring us to that place of absolute, total, and complete surrender. And if that's you today and you just want to do that, you just want to show the Lord above, humble yourself before him and, and stand and say, Lord, I just humble myself before you and, and I surrender. I surrender all. If that's you, would you just stand up? And then show, you're just doing a show of I'm surrendering to Jesus. He's got it all. I don't got nothing to hold back. He's got it all. Amen. Praise the Lord. Anyone else? You're just saying, Lord, take it all. All this stuff that's got me tripped up. Help me to focus on you and you alone. Father, I just thank you so much for your goodness, Lord, that you, you've called us to this place of, of sacrifice and obedience and having that ready ear, Lord. And as Abraham said, here am I. Lord, all these who are standing are saying to you, here am I, Lord. I surrender. Lord, I don't want to hold anything back. Just forgive me. Wash me clean. Help me to walk in the newness of life, Lord, and empower me by your Holy Spirit to complete all that you have for me. And Lord, uh, I just pray that's the last time we'd say me, Lord, because it's not about I or me, but it's about you and so what you've done. And the glory is, is all yours. And so may that be our heart. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Let's all stand.